Sunil Vidami opens your gateway to the brave new world of work on The Next Shift. The radio show that explores the exhilarating, the innovative and the unpredictable in the rapidly evolving world of work. Every week, we delve into the uncharted territories of groundbreaking technology, innovation and mind-bending trends that are upending the way we work, live and play. Prepare for a captivating expedition to the zenith of human potential as we intelligently examine the challenges, opportunities and potential pitfalls that lie ahead. From the rise of automation and artificial intelligence, remote working and the emergence of groundbreaking new industries to decentralised workforces and radical income models, the explosion of virtual reality offices and the rise of digital nomads. The next shift empowers you to not only survive, but also thrive in this new era of work. Sunil Badami opens your gateway to the brave new world of work on The Next Shift. Only on Disrupt Radio. This is The Next Shift with Sunil Badami on Disrupt Radio. Working from home to hybrid workplaces. Finding the right side hustle or meaning in what you do. How to work with AI before it takes your job. Work is changing faster every day and the future of work is already here. How do you navigate office politics via Zoom? How important is diversity when everyone's working from home? And how can you manage a bad boss or that Gen Z intern? The Next Shift with Sunil Badami. We challenge and inspire you to adapt, evolve, and become an unstoppable force. I'm Sunil Badami. I've had more jobs than I've had haircuts, including as a journalist, broadcaster, academic, and researcher specialising in the future of work. And together, we'll explore the future of work today and how you can shift up to the next level, wherever you work, whatever you do. Welcome to The Next Shift on Disrupt Radio. The great Irish playwright and Nobel laureate for literature, Samuel Beckett, was famous for saying, ever failed? Fail again. Fail better. But in a culture that rewards success so much that so many of us kill ourselves and step over others just to get it, what does success really mean? And what does failure mean, really? And while we're happy to tell everyone about our successes, why is it so hard to talk about failure? And what can we learn from our failures or others? Let's find out. I'm Sunil Badami. Welcome to the next shift on Disrupt Radio. Well, while I'm in a quoting mood, I always remember the great Swiss-French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau reflecting on his own failures and observing that experience is the toll of wisdom. And by that... He didn't mean when everything went right, but when it didn't. You'd expect I'd be pretty wise by now after everything that's gone wrong in my life. (laughs) But as the old saying goes, we, we learn from our mistakes. So is failure a mistake or an opportunity? Just a heads up before we start talking about it, we will be talking a bit about big ideas and we will be using some unvarnished language as we do. 
First up, you know our first guest, Disrupt Radio's own George McEncrow, successful business person, founder of the rideshare service Sheba, acclaimed stand-up comedian and presenter of Moolah from 9am on weekdays and reheated, like the next shift across the week at Disrupt.radio. George, great to have you on the next shift. Thank you. And thanks for bringing me on a topic like failure. Just really boosts my spirits. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Who can I think of who's a real loser? Oh, let me give George a call. Well, I, no, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't spend a whole show talking to myself, George. How could I fail to not have you on and talk about failure? No, it's a good, it's a very good topic and it's a tough experience, but oh, you learn a lot. You learn a lot. You learn more from your failures than your wins, that's for sure. You're a successful comedian, entrepreneur. Yes. See what I did yes. there? Yes. And of course, yes. a pop, the popular and acclaimed host on Moolah on yeah. Disrupt Radio at 9am on weekdays. So have you experienced failure and what was your worst failure? Oh my God. I have, I, ex- I, have ex- I experienced failure on the daily. I have a very vocal inner critic that that's just an ongoing thing between me and my therapist. But I think losing Sheba, having to put that into administration at the end of COVID was possibly one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. One of the things where kind of couldn't get out of bed. I just felt like I'd let so many people down and it's still going. The service is still going. It was bought out of administration, which was terrific. But the gradual, I guess, you know, as the news got worse and having to let people go. So we went from a staff of 42, lost our marketing department, halved the wages of everybody, you know, and then having to let people go and then having to ultimately just, yeah, say I have to call it or I won't have enough money for people's wages and superannuation and it's whatever cash is left at bank just has to be, you know, paid to those people and we call it a day. And that was hard. That was really hard. It had, Sheba had drawn a lot of publicity we were the first crowdfunded organisation to hit the record of $3 million and raised from people's, you know, like not necessarily wealthy people but wholesale investors, people who are very passionate about what Sheba was, you know, there to do, which was provide a safe option for driving women and kids. And, yeah, that hurt. That hurt a lot. What's extraordinary is that, so many of your failures or the failures that you might have experienced are in such public kind of occupations, stand-up comedy, startups, mm. the media. Mm. They don't just seem prone to failure. They seem made <laughs> for failure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, they really are tough. You know, getting sacked from a breakfast show that I was doing on Mix FM that the, that was bad because I didn't really see it coming and I was opening my first one-woman show that very night for the comedy festival, you know, and it was April Fool's Day. So I really did think it was a joke when they called me in. I guess the night, the upside of that was that people who I had only had fleeting contact with 
really came out in droves to say lovely things and that gave me a bit of a push for publicity for my first show and, you know, I ended up with a, you know, nomination for Best Newcomer. Didn't take it home. I think Hannah Gadsby, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, I think she won that (laughs) year. (laughs) There was some stiff competition. But, yeah, it all ends up being okay, you know, in the end. But at the time, it's public, as you say. It's embarrassing. And then it's deeply humanising. And, in fact, one of the best series I ever did at the Comedy Festival in terms of profitability was a show called Best Comics, Worst Gigs. And... For two years I put that on and comics couldn't wait to put their hand up and get on stage and talk about their failures. Yeah, it was it was that was a really nice thing to do. I think it's a deeply humanizing moment. How did you kinda overcome the shock of being sacked and packing up your desk and being escorted out of the mixed studios <laughs> and then going home and putting on your lippy and remembering all your lines and then walking on stage for your very first full-length stand-up routine at no less than the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. What did you do or how did you overcome the shock and humiliation of being sacked to get back on your game? Well, I thought I wasn't given much room there to be funny anyway, and I saw them as quite separate worlds, you know, stand-up and breakfast radio, especially when you only ever get – there were three of us. There was me, Tom Gleeson and Bridget Duclos. Between the three of us, there was never much time between the ads and the songs. You got talk breaks of two or three minutes at most. I I just thought, well, thank God I don't have to do this and then get up at – you know, shit o'clock tomorrow morning and do stand-up at night and then get up really early. But it was hard, but I don't know, I guess the old, you know, the trooper in me, the show must go on philosophy. And also that sense, I think, that is enormously helpful is that no one really gives a shit about what you do publicly anyway. Like it's always so much bigger in your own mind and I really have a sense that most people are thinking about their next food, their next shag, and when they can have a poo. Like most of us are pretty basic and no one's really thinking about you. Oh, my God, I feel like you just read my mind, George. (laughs) You're on the next shift on Disrupt Radio with me, Sunil Badami, and Disrupt's own George McEncrow, who never fails to impress me. Why do you keep sticking your head up above the parapet to do such different and challenging things? You know, writing, presenting, public speaking. I can also public speech. Public speaking, (laughs) tutoring tricky students, working for war crimes tribunals. Most people avoid doing something new for fear of failing or looking foolish. So how do you find the, I guess, vim or motivation to do new or different things and why? Because your life is short and I think I have a mechanism. I know there's some psychological term for it, but if I challenge myself to do something, I can't rest until I've given it a crack because just cowardice, I think, is my least 
you know, I think it's one of the worst things you can demonstrate. And, you know, again, my granddad always used to say fortune favours the brave. He also used to say you can't win with fright and money. And I think I always had a very strong sense that if you've got an interest or a talent or, a, you know, a motivation to do something, you will kick yourself if you don't at least have a crack at it. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because we often kind of think bravery or courage are fearlessness, but it's actually being afraid (laughs) and doing it anyway that reveals the greatest courage. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what gives you the buzz too, right? Like it's the thing that gets you feeling like you are being authentic to yourself. And I think the moments that I am most shameful of are the times when I abandoned what I thought to be right or true or fair, you know, in order to, I don't know, please the other girls in year nine or, you know, not not rock the boat. They're the times when I walk away with a deep sense of self-loathing. Someone wise once said to me, it's better to regret the things you've done than the things you never got to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially, okay, you maybe, you know, you can't afford to go on a holiday. You can't afford to, I don't know, build a property and rescue injured animals or whatever it might, whatever philanthropic thing you might want to do. But when you know that you can and you really want to, and the only thing holding you back is fear of looking stupid, then I think, yeah, you're going to regret that. Or I would anyway. Yeah, but are there some failures you can't come back from? Oh, I'm sure there are. So far, nothing's killed me yet. (laughs) But, you know, a marriage breakup, that was bad. Losing my house was bad. Wishing I'd paid more attention to, you know, legal documents and contracts and things like that at various times. But There's never anyone to blame but myself, you know. (laughs) You just have to say, let yourself off the hook a bit from time to time. But I think most of the things, yeah, that I've done, I'm not ashamed about or feel like I can't get back from. And, yeah, failure, I'm pretty good at not taking criticism from people who've never stepped into the ring. I just don't give any fucks for people who've never tried anything. I just don't care about what they say or Mm, think. Yeah, I agree. Tell me, having said that, why is there so much shame around failure? Everybody does it. Anyone who says they don't is basically a psychopath like Donald Donald Trump. I know. You know, part of my thing is, you know, growing up, in a house, so there were five kids. I was the middle kid, and you know, I think we were all very much aware that what any deficit you have in your character has been picked apart and scrutinized and pilloried and mocked. So, I think that does make you well, not bulletproof because I certainly feel things deeply and. It, After Sheba went into administration, I was under my doona for about six months. Like it was a very hard time. I really struggled with anxiety and shame and not because I looked bad but because I'd let people down. And I think people are frightened of failure when they're – it sounds contradictory but it's people who think that 
everyone's looking. And once you realise that nobody's looking, nobody thinks all that much about you, it gives you this enormous liberty, I guess. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. When I was a kid, I was always worried about what people were thinking or what they were saying about me. And then as I've gotten older, I just give less and less of a shit. I think that's the one kind of consolation of age. Like you kind of, yes, I've got more back aches, but I give less fucks. (laughs) Yes, but I don't think it's universal. I think it takes a particular type of disposition that, that gives you that little insight I remember someone saying to me once, well, can you remember the mistakes that, can you remember what so-and-so wore to that party? You know, if I was embarrassed about a, an outfit or a faux pas or a, the self-absorption that you do by going over and over your mistakes, it's, you know, it's really problematic because once you go to try and remember what anyone else wore or unless someone really did something terrible, punched out a host or, you know, drove their car home pissed or did something really stupid, most people just forget what you say. Now, George, you said that you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. So tell me, what did you learn from being sacked from Mix? FM or Sheba going into administration? I think I learned from being sacked from Mix that nothing is secure and that you are often just at the whim of another person's budget sheet. You know, you might just be the person who's surplus to requirements. I also learned that I really wasn't enjoying it anyway, to be frank. And, you know, I probably wouldn't have left because the money was good. But in terms of happiness or feeling like I was doing anything worthwhile for anyone, was completely absent. You know, I wasn't having fun. I wasn't making jokes that I can remember, you know, compared to the time I'd had before that with Triple M in Brisbane, where I would genuinely be laughing four hours after the show had finished about something someone had said or something a caller had done. And, you know, that was real joy. And I know people really enjoyed listening to it. And, yeah, that, you know, I think you've got to feel like you're having some sort of an impact in the world, not necessarily making it a better place, but just making it a slightly more joyful or humane place for a while, you know. And perhaps you also learnt that the media is the only industry in the world where you can die of encouragement. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you've experienced more failure than most, but also more success than many as well. Why do you think some people only seem to experience failure or keep failing? Is it something you do, something that happens, or how you perceive it? Oh, it's all perception. No one's ever always failing. I think either you've got to, you know, examine your settings on your self-reflection somehow. No one's ever always failing. I can't think of anyone who's always failing. And I don't think people are always succeeding. I think it's all about spin, really. And if you're telling yourself you're always failing, then... You're not really being very fair or kind to yourself. Can you think of anyone who's always failing? I know in China recently, there's a guy who tried to complete the Chinese university entrance exam for the 24th year in a row. He didn't get in. Oh, my God. 
Oh, my God, that breaks my heart. Yeah, see, his settings are wrong. He needs to be taken to the shop and (laughs) recalibrated. I think, I tell you what I think is interesting, like whenever I've done something brave, doors do seem to fly open and that's certainly what happened with Sheba. It grew beyond anything I could have envisaged at my kitchen table when I first conceived of it. And the same is when I finally worked up the guts to do stand-up comedy, I got a job on, you know, a metro radio station like Triple M after about three months of just doing little bits of stand-up. You know, I was so scared. I loved comedy so much, but I was so scared of my desire to do it that I stopped being able to enjoy watching it, you know, because every time I watched it I was thinking about why am I so gutless, why will I not, you know, just at least have a crack. And then when I did it all moved very fast and I found myself working with people I'd admired my whole life and, yeah, and, yeah, I think the scariest things I've done have always ended up being the best things I've done. So what would you say to someone who has just experienced failure or is going through, you know, trying to deal with disappointment or shame as a result of not achieving what they'd hoped to achieve right now? I would say how much of what happened is in your hands for a start. You know, say with Sheba and COVID, I really couldn't have tried any harder. I finally, you know, came to terms with that. You know, COVID, weirdly enough, I'm not in charge of the pandemic. And if you can look yourself in the eye and say, I really tried every single thing at my disposal and I couldn't turn around. So if you're experiencing failure, try and be fair, talk to somebody about it. Shame shrivels with a bit of sunlight. As soon as you've talked about what you're ashamed of, you'll find that it really diminishes in size. And I think that's where it's very important to be in conversation with people. And then try and get some perspective and see, you know, this is a meditative exercise that I did after Sheba went to shit was walking around and just taking photographs of magnolias as they bloomed in the sort of beginning of spring. I became quite obsessed with them and just found, you know, get yourself in front of beautiful things like rocks and beaches and trees. And remember that we're only a bit of stardust. We're only here for a blink of an eye. Chill. You'll be dead soon enough. (laughs) Don't worry. Like it's all going to be over. And you may as well have some fun while you're strutting and fretting your hour upon the stage. Thank you so much for those wise words, George. (laughs) They were borrowed from Mr. William Shakespeare (laughs) at the end there, but, yeah, we're just fools. So just remember, embrace your foolishness. Well, I never fail to have a great chat with you, George. Oh, good on you, Sunil. It was a joy. Welcome back to The Next Shift on Disrupt Radio. I'm Sunil Badami. Now, we chatted to Simon Goodrich a little while back about how and why he certified his design and technology agency Portable as a B Corporation, which is kind of like organic certification for companies who really want to make a positive impact for their workers, customers, the community and the environment. 
But although he is one of the most accomplished people I know, Simon too has had moments of doubt where he's felt he's failed. At least until one life-changing thing helped him to come to terms with failure and to appreciate what's really important. Welcome back to The Next Shift on Disrupt Radio. Simon Goodrich from Portable. Great to be here, Sunil. Now, Simon, you've been a very successful leader and thought leader in a number of industries and sectors across a wide range of organisations. I feel like your LinkedIn profile is, it almost goes forever. You've run community radio, you're on the committee of the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, you're on, you're an advisory board member for Design Victoria, you're an Australian representative of the World Summit Awards, you're on various boards, advisory to tertiary education, as a fellow at universities like the University of Melbourne, you're an ambassador for the Webby Awards and on the board of the Jewish Museum, and you're also the co-founder of Portable, one of Australia's leading purpose-driven digital design agencies in the not-for-profit and community sector. So you've achieved so much. It can almost seem a little bit daunting to compare, at least compare myself to you. But have you ever experienced failure? Has anything ever happened where you didn't quite get or achieve what it was you hoped to achieve? Every day, Sunil. Every day there's failure. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You, thank you for your very kind words uh, you've said about me. Makes me, I should probably reflect and look at the LinkedIn part too. I mean, there's always a view of what you say on the outside and then what one does in the work that they do, right? I think, I, I believe I'm driven to things that I'm interested in, but there's failure all around us all the time. It's just inescapable. It's part of the human psyche and it's part of the work that one does. I don't, I think with failure, you just want to ensure it doesn't let it beat you and then you be able to bounce back usually pretty quickly to be able to get through whatever you're getting through at that moment in time because you will always face failures. Life is never, whether it's your personal life, your professional life, is never a straightforward trajectory. Um, I've looked at a lot of my professional career where there's been a ton of failure. Um, interesting, a few years ago I actually um, – started speaking to someone because I was actually reflecting on everything. I I, the, I remembered all the failures and I wasn't just celebrating successes. So when success happened, it didn't really mean anything. But when I failed, I just ruminated and remembered it. And I had to go through my own journey to be able to recollect and be able to celebrate those wins, but also be able to work through failure, be able to see what you learn from failure, be able to distance about is it me or is it the broader context or what can I get out from that? But, yeah, I don't see myself as a success. I see myself as working to try and improve and learning from each thing that have failed to the next. What does failure mean to you? It depends what you mean by failure. So failure to me means something not working that you had intended to and then I'm not learning from it 
and I'm likely to repeat it again. That to me would be failure. I wouldn't see failure of something not working, whether it's within my control or not, and then me reflecting on it and thinking about what would I do differently next time. I don't see that as failure. I see that as growth. I see failure as things happening to you and then you don't learn and respond to them. There's been, you know, a bunch of proverbs that have mentioned, you know, you know, failure is, you know, you, you're just repeating those same things. So I think if you're just not being able to be in a, in a learning mindset, in a quite an open approach to improvement mindset, then yes, I think failure could be creeping in for the inevitable things that don't go our way every single day. You're on the next shift on Disrupt Radio with me, Sunil Badami, and we're finding out what failure and success really mean to Simon Goodrich of innovative digital technology agency Portable. So how do you get back on the horse or up off the mat? How do you dust yourself off and try again? I do it because I think people in the past might be like, what will someone think of me? Or what will they think of that part? And I learned pretty early on 99.9% of the time, they're just probably thinking of themselves and their own challenges and so forth, that no one's really thinking about you. So I don't care so much about whether I'm going to fail again publicly because I don't think anyone really cares. They've got their own challenges and opportunities to go from. So I think for me, it's about, again, back to the purpose. What's important to me? How do I think I can go? And I'm willing to fail 100 times if I need to. For a lot of people, failure can be something that kind of stops them dead in their tracks. It almost stops their life wherever it is at that point. Say, for example, Miss Miss Havisham from Great Expectations. What would you say to someone who has just experienced failure, possibly soul-crushing failure, and doesn't know what to do or where to go from here? I'd say it will get better. There will be a new day, whether it's tomorrow or a month from now, where that fog will lift. You are controlling in your own life. So it's ultimately you're the one that helps to derive what you denote as success or outcomes. And don't expect others to decide that for you or don't even think that they even care. I think you could be in a world of pain and failure and have the feeling that like people will think of you. I think it was written by in one of Anne Rand's books in the author that she is. I think it was in the fountainhead, something like the one of the two main characters, protagonists. One of them was like, what, what do you think of me? And the other character said, I don't think of you at all. As in like part of it was in like, we live in our own worlds and our own heads, like harness that, take that part. And, it's okay to fail because, I've se- yeah, you're right. I've seen a lot of people too that they failed once and they're just a shell of themselves and that's a bit sad and they could be living their best lives if they were just more comfortable in all its life and all its glories and stuff. I write a lot about my health challenges, which I don't know if necessarily a failure, they're challenges, and it really resonates with folks. People like me being quite open about it. They get inspiration from it and they appreciate being open and I feel like I'm doing a good thing and I feel better about it and I feel better about my own experience from that too. I just think try, don't take yourself that seriously because no one else is if they're thinking about you at all. 
How do you work through failure, given that you've, you say that you've fixated on failure in the past? I'm exactly the same. Like I, if I've done something well, I think, oh yeah, great. Okay, fine. But I can always see the things I could have done better, even in that thing that everybody says is good. How do you work through that failure? How do you learn from that? Yeah, I think it's the view that things are never as good or as bad as they seem. I think it's always good to keep within that even keel. So when things are bad, we're seeing it failure just to be able to zoom out a bit and reflect of where you are currently on that journey and remind yourself of that, that it's a moment and it will pass and learn from that. And just as when things are, everything's going excellent, to recognise that's also a fluid moment in time and that will go to, and that's not to not necessarily enjoy that time, but also not to lean in and get egotistical or pig-headed that you've got some modest touch and that you're invincible because that will shift and change. I think it's about being able to create the space to reflect on what has happened to you in that moment, whether it be work or whether it be personal, to be able to reflect what if I what would I what will I do next time it is very easy I do it often we all do to ruminate on what's happened in the past and what you could have done but we can't change that I think it's about being able to reflect on what would I do and learn from next time and then have your own process to be able to work through that learning to then demonstrate that you've changed and I see that as growth but it's also the recognition to understand you can only control what you can control. I have a lot of challenges in my personal life with my health. I've had four brain tumours, three spinal tumours. I had radiotherapy two weeks ago for a tumour that's grown back, trying to negotiate with Big Pharma to get a drug paid for free. No individual negotiating with Big Pharma doesn't really go so well. So there's a whole range of stuff that's, challenging but i'm only controlling what i can control and only thinking about one step forward i'm not necessarily thinking it's a failure it has ramifications but i'm being able to get off the mat and keep trying and keep thinking would that be with what i do in my health and negotiating the myriad of different challenges that are there or what i do in my work i think one thing that i've thought about recently is like no one really knows what's going on There's no one who's the holder of any of this information. And the person who's most invested in me is me. So it's really up to me to be able to create the space to be able to try and answer some of those questions. And I need to get myself in the right mindset to be able to respond to that. So I don't feel that like, I thankfully don't have a disposition to suffer from poor me or I can't believe this is happening to me. Because in the end, life doesn't give a shit about me. The universe doesn't give a shit that I exist. 99.999% of the earth doesn't care that I exist or not. It's really up to me and what I can control and what have effect on. And can I be able to be a force of some form of positive change? That to me would be what success would be, let alone whatever's written on my LinkedIn. Those things I think are the ones that are most important. I was reading a good quote yesterday that the only time success is before work is in the dictionary. Some It's not my quote. Someone else wrote that part. (laughs) And I think for that, it's about being able to have a consistent practice, whatever your practice is, and being able to be 
focused and dedicated towards that and knowing that you're going to have some days that work and some days that don't, but being able to have a thirst and desire to just keep, keep doing it. I have a, I say to my kids, all I ever ask of you is I want you to do three words for me, do the work. That's it. Just put in the effort and try. And that's all you can hope for. And then life is going to go your way sometimes and sometimes not. I think if you can create a space in whatever you do to be able to say, I can be in this part where I feel I've got some agency over my outcomes and what I can do and that I'm going to focus on that and I'm going to take my learnings of what I've done and my failures and do it. Because I was with the view. I always think you learn a lot more when you fail than when you succeed. If you want to, you do learn more when you fail, but you've got to be open to learning when you fail. Sometimes people fail and it's like someone else's problem or they're out to get me or like they just don't know how amazing I am. And they're probably, maybe all those things are true. But I think you've also got to create the space for yourself to have an ability to zoom out and to reflect and learn because we're only, all of us have got our own narratives and stories in life. It's up to us. when we think about the things that we learn the most from, they're obviously our mistakes. Thomas Edison famously took a thousand attempts to invent the light bulb. And someone said to him once, um, so how did you work through 999 times failing to invent a light bulb? And he said, well, I didn't fail 999 times to invent a light bulb. I just discovered 999 ways how not to invent a light bulb. I guess Mm. what's really interesting is, you know, there's so much emphasis, especially now, for companies to be innovative. And yet it seems that innovation and experimentation are equally linked to failure, inverted commas. 100%. If you're not failing, it's, I believe it can be really hard to be innovative because if it was super easy, probably someone else has done it like 100 times before too. There has to be some level of risk. I just think that there's a disassociation between what you want as the outcome and the process and work you've got to do to get to that outcome. Because people do look at stuff and they look at, oh my God, what an overnight success versus took them 20 years or you don't understand their mindset of all the challenges they've had to go through to get there. And it's to the point like what even denotes success? So when people go, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy all the time. But life is not about being happy all the time. If you just want to be happy all the time, there's a whole bunch of other emotions and feelings and things that you don't partake in that will probably, in my opinion, make the times when you are happy not giving you that sort of referential point of what that actually means. Well, let's face it, we're both old enough to know that if you try to be happy all the time, you'll end up being quite unhappy trying to be happy. Yeah, you will. You will. It's like the, the generic American film where there's these very wealthy people who look like have a charm life, who look deeply unhappy. It's a common theme within Hollywood, common theme within that society. I think it depends what you're striving for. I'm of the view that one should seek out their own purpose and spend time to be able to define what that is. I've, through my challenges, I wouldn't say failures, but through challenges of having multiple brain surgeries and really considering myself, will I even be alive tomorrow? Or if so, in what state? How will I do all these things? I've been able to really refine what's important to me personally. And I've been able to drive a lot of purpose out of the work that I do, that I denote that gives me happiness and success. 
And that is not so much, if anything, to do with my title, my what jobs I do, what's in my bank account. It's more so about being able to have something that I think is meaningful for me and then saying, what ripples am I creating with that to be able to affect change? Am I making the world a better place in my own little way, however small that might be? How do you maintain that focus on the world as opposed to yourself when you've got such an existential crisis? We all know we could die tomorrow, but you actually know you could die tomorrow. Yeah, I've got very specific things that I'd like to be doing and being able to focus on those. And then especially when I have moments of failure, to remind myself that's what I'm striving and going for and helping me get off the mat to try again. Failure to me is doing something once and then never doing it again for fear of having a feeling of that that failure that you had. That to me is failure. I think it's about how do you get back on the horse? How do you create that level of resilience, that level of inner confidence to keep trying, to learn? It might take you, as you said, to Thomas Edison 999 times. That's a part. And I just think as a society we and as a species, we tend to want to look for shortcuts if we can, or assume that what we're seeing in front of us is just because someone's been on a purely linear path. As you said, Sunil, like even the people that are on a linear path, at some point in their life they won't be, how are they going to respond to that? Some people don't respond well. Some people never come back from that. Others use it as a formative experience to then change what they do and have a look at that mindset, but it's back to that view of happiness. It's really up to you as an individual to denote what happiness or success it's so interesting, isn't it? Because when I was younger, and I think we're all the same when we're younger, we're eager and we're hungry and we're in a rush to make a name for ourselves so that people know who we are and they don't forget about us. And as I get older, I realise everybody else gives about as much of a shit about me as I do about them. But it's actually been really freeing knowing that there are things out of your control and that people don't really care that much and that you've got space to be able to do the things you want to do and define success, not because of the car you drive or the clothes you wear or the house you live, but because of being able to do the things you love doing. You're right. Like I don't, I've met too many people that have reached title or financial outcomes beyond a level of being able to do the basics of roof over your head and eating the food on the table and so forth when they've reached towards that stratosphere of more of it, some of the most depressed people I know are the wealthiest people I know. It's all about expectation of what you want in life and what denotes success. And if you're chasing whatever someone else's view of your own life is, note that there isn't someone out there who cares that much anyway. But because of that, it's like you're chasing a, you're chasing like a pot of gold with a rainbow. I think once you reach a point, there's very low, it's very quickly towards diminishing returns. Yeah, it's interesting. We often look at success as being the horizon without realising that the horizon keeps moving. Yeah. Simon, thank you so much for your time. And I just want you to know, I do give a shit that you're here and I'm so glad that we could share those thoughts. I know that if there's any one person who can change Big Pharma, it has to be you. And I'll back (laughs) you, whatever the outcome. Thanks, Neil. I'll keep trying. What have I got to lose? If I can make this work, I'm happy to, I'll try a hundred times. Thank you so much, Simon Goodrich from Portable. Thanks for the opportunity, Neil. Always a pleasure. 
If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, well, as Rudyard Kipling's inspiring poem If concludes, yours is the earth and everything in it. Look, I don't need that much, but it is interesting how success is an always moving horizon, always a little out of reach. Isn't it funny how when we reach the peak of whatever mountain we've set out to climb, it only opens up vistas of more, higher summits or the abyss below us. Failure is painful, but success is no guarantee of happiness. And what determines them, success or failure, is as much outside our control as it might be within us. But as philosophers and religious leaders have grappled with since we first wanted more than we had, the hardest thing in the world, in life, is finding contentment, taking a breather and enjoying the view. Look, it's not the same as complacency, but it maybe it means realising what's really important that the real measure of success is how we can leave the world a better place and not just by leaving it. You will get there. You just have to keep trying. As someone wise once told me, the difference between someone who succeeds and someone who fails is they just got up one more time than they were knocked down. Ever failed? Fail again. Fail better. And with that, it's time to clock off this shift. Thanks to the wonderful George McEncrow and portable Simon Goodrich for one of the most profound and moving conversations I've had in ages. Hear more of George on Moolah live every weekday morning from 9am and reheated across the week at Disrupt.radio. Although you knew that, didn't you? And find out more about what Portable does to help create positive impact in education, mental health, justice and more at portable.com.au. So, what do you think? What does failure really mean to you? And how have you overcome failure in your life and career? Let us know on our socials on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, and of course LinkedIn. This is Disrupt Radio, and I'm Sunil Badami. See you next time for The Next Shift. On Disrupt Radio, you'll hear Simon Reynolds. The Business Lounge. Fred Shabestra, worth hundreds of millions, founder of findit.com, the finance, insurance and utilities comparison site. So you've got to move the, you know, like Sun, so you've got to move the playing field outside of their territory. Mm. What is everyone else not doing that is actually the better opportunity? How are you going to create some alpha? What is an industry? It's basically a whole bunch of companies copying each other and trying to benchmark against each other to get exactly the same return. Yeah, so true. And so price is basically going to go down and margins going to be eroded. Yeah. The Business Lounge with Simon Reynolds. Spotlighting the most inspiring and tenacious self-made entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, it's the battle between optimization, which is the game they're playing, and innovation. Check in with business guru Simon Reynolds in the Business Lounge. Live on DAV+, online and on demand at disrupt.radio.